Relationships are not easy. They're worth it, but they aren't easy. And this rings especially true when we consider our closest relationships. Sybil Thorndike was, was one of the first movie stars in England. She was very well known. And she was married to another prolific actor, a man named Louis Kaysen. And they were married for 61 years. And, and their love, their relationship was legendary. Uh, when asked about their long and successful marriage, Sybil was once asked, did you ever think of divorce? To which she replied, divorce? Never. But murder? Often. All the married people are like, I get it. It's not easy, but it is worth it. That's why today we're starting a new teaching series called I Don't. And in it, we will be applying the truth of God's word to all of our important relationships with a special focus on husbands and wives. We should start with the obvious question. Why? Why are relationships so difficult? Why do they require so much intentionality in order to be great, so much work to remain strong? And it has to do, quite honestly, with, with the nature of sin. Sin, at its core, is an orientation toward the self. It's, it's an inclination we have to turn away from God and away from others, even those we love the most, and in doing so, to care first, foremost, and at all times about one person, me. It's this impulse to interpret everything through the lens of how it affects me, how it threatens me, and how it benefits me. It's as if long before we've made any marriage vows, we've taken other vows to ourselves. Vows to love, serve, and protect me, myself, and I above all. Yet if our relationships are going to thrive, it's these vows, these self-centered, self-focused promises that we've made to ourselves, it's these vows that have to be broken. And followers of Jesus Christ we have a distinct advantage in this necessary vow-breaking. In Ephesians 4, Paul is about to dive into a long teaching on relationships. But listen to what he says first. He says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. You who have faith in Christ have been given a, a new self, Paul says, a new identity as a forgiven member of God's family. And with it comes a new heart and a new attitude. And you are now, by virtue of your faith in Jesus, you are now oriented rightly. You're oriented back toward God and toward others. It's a new self that each day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is slowly teasing out of you and working in you. God's own spirit is at work within you to, to help you reject the old that undermines your relationships and to embrace the new that makes them thrive. But listen to me, it, it won't just happen. You need to participate in this transformation in order to fully experience it. And that's why in this series, we're going to look at, at four of the most common vows we make to ourselves. And we are going to commit to breaking them for the sake of growing into our identity as new creations and experiencing God's best in our relationships. Are you ready? So here's the first vow I want you to break. It's the vow we make to ourselves that says, 
I'm going to hide the worst about me, but hold on to the worst in others. Our impulse is to hide our mistakes, gloss over our struggles, and play down our problems. Meanwhile, when it comes to those we love, when it comes to the worst in them, the issues we see in them, we tend to hold on to those things and use those things against them. And the reason we do all of this is to protect ourselves, to protect ourselves from shame and blame and judgment. And this is not new. We see this in the very beginning, in the very first marriage with Adam and Eve. They both sin, and what's their response? It's, it's fig leaves and finger pointing. Listen to this from Genesis. And they, Adam and Eve, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They mess up, and their instinct is to hide, to hide from one another and from God. And then later, when God asks, okay, who did what? They point at one another, this married couple. They accuse each other. The end result is friction in the marriage and distance between them and the divine. Fast forward, and the same dynamic is still playing out in homes today. Along comes some disagreement, a disagreement over screen time for the kids or whether or not we're still supposed to wear masks in Target, no one knows. And what should be an easy decision devolves into fig leaves and finger pointing. I'm downplaying my sins while amplifying hers, and it ends with, with one of us scrolling through Netflix alone, muttering under our breath about what an idiot our spouse is. You've been there. I've been there. The only remedy is for us to make choices that, that break that habit, that break that vow, that counteract the impulse to hide and to hold and to embrace our calling as a new creation. And the good news is that in this same text, Paul offers instruction on doing just that. According to Paul, the new you in relationships will do four things. You will confess, you will address, you will encourage, and you will absolve. Look at verse 25. Paul says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of the other. Uh, in other words, Paul says, no more hiding. No more hiding. Show your spouse, show the ones you love, the real you. Confess and own and admit your sins and struggles to the most important people in your life. Show the real you, especially to your spouse. Stop hiding. By the way, what is your preferred method of hiding? We all have one. What is it that you do uh, to keep those you love from seeing weakness in you? Uh, for some of us, it's humor. Uh, you crack a joke to avoid having to reveal something truly vulnerable. Uh, for others, it's a drink. Uh, you get a little numb every night to keep yourself from feeling or revealing too much. For some, it's hyper-defensiveness. Uh, anytime anyone gets a bead on your brokenness, you bite back hard. Uh, for many of us, it's, it's busyness. Uh, you're never still long enough to acknowledge your issues or to have anyone be able to ask about them. But Paul says, the new you knows better than to hide. Put away that falsehood. Be open about who you really are. And Paul's reasoning, did, did you catch it? Is because we are, quote, members one of another. In other words, 
Uh, We are designed for community and connection and intimacy. But when one person refuses to expose or take ownership over their shadow self, it creates distance between two people who are supposed to be intertwined. And you might think, well, well, what's wrong with a little space between me and my spouse? Well, a a lot of things. Mainly, that empty space between you and your spouse won't stay empty for long. Because both of you need connection. Which means you'll allow something else to fill that space. And if it ain't your spouse filling that space, it's going to create trouble. Uh, Hide yourself, create distance, and that space will get filled with with work. Or, Or it will get filled with more hunting and fishing. Or or it will get filled with busyness at the kid's school. Or it it will get filled with another person. And before you know it, what started as a small space has become a chasm filled with disappointment, anger, or betrayal. Stop protecting yourself and show yourself. Put away falsehood. Now, Now, you might be thinking, Okay, Matt, I I get it. I should be open about my sins and struggles and problems. But what about my my, my husband or my kid or my mother-in-law's sins, struggles, and problems? Am I supposed to just say nothing about those things? Because because it's a lot of things. Of course not. And and Paul addresses that. He even says you're allowed to get upset. Uh, Listen to this. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In the Bible, anger is not bad. It's actually seen as an expression of love. God's anger over our sin flows from love. The anger you feel when your spouse opens the dishwasher, sees that it's filled with clean dishes, yet chooses to slowly close it and pretend they don't know anything about it. That anger you feel flows from love. It fills you with rage, but it flows from love. Notice what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. Followed by, do not let the sun go down. Meaning, address the things that anger you about the other person and address them right away. Anger flows from love. A love you have for this person and a desire to see them become the best possible version of themselves. But even that anger that flows from love when when nothing is done about it will create problems. Don't let the sun go down. Address it right away. When you bury it, when you ignore it, when you rationalize or gloss over it, you're not helping You are not keeping the peace by keeping quiet. No, you are perpetuating a problem and refusing to do what love requires. Moreover, Paul says your your silence opens a door. It creates uh, an opportunity for evil to grab on and to wreak havoc. Think of it like this. Have you you tried to drive a a screw into a board by hand with, with just a screwdriver? It can be hard to get started. It takes a lot of force. But if you allow yourself to to push and turn, eventually that screw will take root, right? And once it takes root, it's easier. Turn by turn, it it lodges deeper. But when you let your anger with your spouse go unaddressed, you're you're allowing that screw to to feel pressure. And you're allowing it to eventually to to take hold. And, And then what evil will do is at every opportunity, 
with, with every slight, with every issue, it will walk by and give it a turn. She rolled her eyes at you, turn it. He played Xbox instead of helping with bath night, turn it. She refused your advances for a third night in a row. How many headaches can one person have? Turn it. He, he doesn't surprise you like he said he would and date nights just don't happen. Turn it. And then before you know it, that, that thing is lodged deep and it's not moving. It's not going anywhere. But listen to me. The fact that that anger is lodged deep, that's not on your spouse. That, my friend, is on you. Address the issues right away. Now, now again, I, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Matt, if I addressed everything that, that, that I saw as an issue, we'd be arguing all the time. Now, now, I don't think that's true. Addressing issues doesn't have to ensure an argument, especially if you continue to heed what Paul has to say. Listen to this. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such that is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul says, use words that build up. Another way to put it is, is to use words that encourage. Use words that empower and inspire the person you love to be the person that God's called them to be. You can address serious issues without tearing someone apart. Paul says, speak in such a way that the one receiving your words perceives them as grace, as an undeserved gift. As a follower of Jesus, you already know what this feels like. You know what this looks like because this is how God speaks to you. Does he address your sins and your struggles? Forcefully, clearly, yes. But with every word of law that he speaks, he also speaks a word of life. He speaks a word that says, look, I, I love you. I forgive you. I am for you. What kind of words do you speak? Married people, are, are you building up with your words or are you breaking down? I, I'm no expert at this, but... But here's something that I've found very helpful. You'll notice that Paul adds a quick phrase. He says, speak as fits the occasion. He means to say that in order to speak the right words, you, you have to do some homework. You need to assess the situation. So for me, it, it comes down to three things. My heart, my tone, and my timing. Before I speak to my wife, I have to check my heart. Because sometimes when, when I speak, I'm, I'm just looking to be right. I'm looking to score points. Other times, and I hate admitting this, I'm just looking to wound. I, I want that person to hurt a bit. And both of those things are bad. Am I hoping to help, looking to lift up, or am I out to wound, to hurt, and make myself feel better? The second, it's possible to have the right intent, but to use it, to say it, in all the wrong way. You can have an intent that's pure, but a posture that's aggressive, a volume that's intense, and all it does is put your partner on the defensive. If you're trying to be helpful, make sure that your face gets the memo. It matters. Third, and, and this one's huge, assess the timing. 
Think about when they're going to be most receptive. It's probably not the second he walks in the door from work. Welcome home, let's talk about our feelings. That's not gonna go well. Or when she's already in the thick of some drama with your teenage daughter. Hey babe, I know you're feeling inadequate as a mother right now, but if I could, I'd like to add a few deficiencies I also see in our marriage. Why are you crying? <laughs> Speak as fits the occasion. Intent, tone, and timing are everything. Paul has one more point for us, and quite honestly, it's the most important. He says this in verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you're serious about breaking that bad vow, about putting on that new self, then there is one thing above and beyond every other thing to do. Forgive them. Absolve them. And listen to me, to forgive is not to forget. It's not to let someone get away with something awful only so that they can do it again. No, remember, Paul assumes that you're talking about things, you're dealing with things. No, to forgive your spouse is, is to treat them the way God the Father through Jesus Christ treats you. And how does he treat you? He refuses to deal with you today as your sins of yesterday deserve. Whatever you might owe him, none of it is being held onto by him. None of it. He lets go of it. In Christ, he punished it all. He forgave it all. And he freed you from the burden of having to pay at all. And in our relationships, we are to seek to do the same. You see, marriage is not about fairness. Thank God there'd be no mercy if it were fair. No, no marriage is about faithfulness. It's about choosing to faithfully give the grace that's always needed, yet rarely earned. When couples come to me for help, one of the things I'll often have them do is confess confess their mistakes that have, that have brought frustration or dysfunction into the marriage, confess their mistakes individually, not to their spouse, but to God. Uh, they will name them out loud to God, and then I will absolve them. I'll tell them, because of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And then I'll have them turn toward their spouse and answer a question for me. And I'll say, can you now, can you now, looking at your spouse, can you look past what they've done to give them what they need? And the answer is always yes. It's always yes because, because it is impossible, having received grace from on high, to then immediately refuse it to another at home. If you're stuck, if you're angry, if you're, if you're holding on to that hurt and unwilling to absolve, where do you begin? Here's what I would suggest. I would suggest confess your own sins and then hear God say to you, all is forgiven, and it is. And then ask yourself, having received this grace, can I, can I do the same for her? You cannot hide your worst, but hold on to theirs. You must reject that vow. You must break that promise you've made to yourself. Put on the new self that God has given to you. Confess, address, encourage, and absolve. And doing this is difficult. 
In fact, it, it, it can feel like dying. And, and in a sense, marriage is like martyrdom. Martyrs are those who are willing to die for something they believe in, for a cause that's greater than themselves. To commit to marriage, really to any important relationship, but especially to marriage, is to commit to a continual death. A, a, a beautiful one, but a continual one. A continual death of your desire to protect yourself, to hide yourself, to look out for yourself. And you do so because you believe in something greater than yourself. You do it because you believe in us. Not easy, but so worth it. And you, new creation in Christ, you can do it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, marriage, marriage especially, is, is difficult. It can be painful, yet it is wonderful. Father, I, I lift up to you every, every couple right now who's, who's hearing my words, and I ask that you would, you would help them to, to let go of the old self, to, to break the vows and the promises we make to ourselves, and to embrace the new creation that you've called them to be and help them to love the other the way they are loved by you. Help them to, to confess their issues, to address what angers them, to encourage one another, to be the best version of themselves, and then give them the willingness, the ability to treat them with grace and mercy undeserved, just as you, because of Christ, treat us. And may this dynamic be lived out in all of our intimate relationships. To your glory and the good of many. Amen. <laughs>